This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue our College Contender Series, breaking down our top 10 teams heading into the 2021 College Tennis Dual Match Season. If you missed our opening episodes, you can hear our conversations on the number 10 women's team in the country, Ohio State, number 10 men's team in the country, Kentucky. On this Great Shot Podcast feed, you can hear Hear my interview with Kentucky men's tennis head coach Cedric Kaufman on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. The Melissa Schaub interview will be conducted shortly. I promise that to all of you listeners. Of course, on today's podcast, we get into our number nine team. And joining me on the show to do just that is the man who will be joining me throughout this college contender series to help me break down our top 10 women's teams heading into the season. Of course, you know him as the founder of the No Ad No Problem blog. A contributor here for us at Crack Rackets, returning champion to this show. It's our friend John Parsons. John, hey, great shot. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Gruskin. Really excited to break down this team. Um, potentially a little bit better than you after the Waco uh, weekend. Um, but yeah, looking forward to chatting today. I don't know why I would be accused of not doing well after a weekend like that. Given what all of you know my life is, isn't that exactly what the doctor ordered for one Alex Gruskin? Just a weekend enjoying himself at Waco. And look, Baylor's not the story of today's podcast. And it's funny because here in this opening week, because we got a little bit behind the eight ball, we're going to release the number nine episodes and ten episodes for whatever it's worth for the men and women simultaneously. Chris and Matt accused me of this same thing. If anything, I'm rejuvenating. I was treated very well. I'll say that. Uh, I was thinking maybe too well, and you would come on today's pod and be like, Baylor women maybe need to be the topic of today, number nine. Um, But it looks like Woodson um, wasn't able to, to win you over on that one. Well, I'm not saying he wasn't. But I will say this, the theme you touch on there, am I having any regrets after our inaugural episode? A, I am because I don't think I mentioned for either the men or the women what the ITA kickoff weekend was for either team, and we have that information available to us. So going to make sure we mention that here on today's show. But B, you're right, yeah, especially here for these early November episodes. And look, if we could release them 10 days consecutively over the course of the first two weeks of January, maybe that might be a better strategy in 2023 because there are always late December surprises on the recruiting trail. We joke about it on the men's side with Tony Bresky, but certainly in the transfer era, certainly uh, here again with these uh, January signees who can begin right away at the start of the dual match season, you always have to be on the lookout for those names and 
look, we had one of those moments occur here over the past couple of weeks as one of the top juniors in the country, Katya Wiersholm, elects to go to Cal. And we talked about this last week. Cal was a team very much in the conversation of a team we had in consideration to put here in our top 10. And obviously, you add a Wiersholm to a team that had plenty of success last season, was right in the mix with USC's and, you know, maybe not quite on UCLA's level, but competing with Stanford as well. And now you add another... Yeah, exactly. And so, still in the Pac-12 final. Well, this, and so you add another player like Wearsholm into the mix. Is that our biggest regret right away? So there were two big signings on the women's side. There was Wearsholm and the, for January commits, and then Uvrutsky. I'm hoping mm-hmm. I'm probably butchering that pronunciation, but joining Texas. So mm-hmm. spoiler: Texas still to come. So we can discuss <laughs> yeah. that one. Cal stings. We gave ourselves some cover, right, by saying like. These are things that happen. Um, But yeah, that definitely boosts that Cal team and honestly just boosts the Pac-12. We've been talking about kind of that foursome of Cal, Stanford, USC, UCLA. Um, Man, uh, that's going to be a pick them. But that's going to be – that's a huge addition for Cal. We talked about it on the number nine show, and since the release simultaneously, I'll give it away. Our number nine men's team is Arizona, and we talked about the uncertainty in the Pac-12 on the men's time side because, yeah, there's a lot of talent on Stanford, but last year you can pretty much throw that season out the window, and there's a lot of young talent on that men's roster, and so they should be very good, but you never know in you know, Arizona, as experienced a team as you're going to find across the country. They have a lot of talent, but how high is that ceiling? That's a question we're talking about, and you know, for you, USC, UCLA, sort of rebuilding years. What does that rebuild look like? How, you know, what is that floor in a rebuilding year? Still certainly top 25 good, but top 16, top 10, that's an unknown entering the season. That is not the case for the Pac-12 women. You look at, I mean, you have four potential top 10 teams. Certainly USC, the winners of the fall with Cayetano and Selma Ewing. And, you know, we got to see pieces of Snow Han. And from what we saw, certainly she's going to be a contributor this season. And you know how good UCLA always is going to be. We got to see Yepafanova and Ma. They're the real deal. Stanford's back this season. And now you throw Cal into the mix. That's four potential top 10 teams. And, you know, again, you look at the ITA kickoff weekend draft results, it's just, I think that ITA kickoff weekend is so fascinating because certainly when you're jockeying for those top eight seeds, if we go back to the round of 16 format or whatever it may be, Getting to the national indoors and getting a chance to play ranked opponents is so critical uh, for so many of these teams. And you look for Cal, they're hosting Vanderbilt, San Diego, BYU. You feel like they could advance out of that. Stanford, they're playing this year. They're going to Virginia in a a conference that features a pesky Arkansas team. James Madison in there as well. Of course, UCLA playing host. Washington, Denver, Cal Poly, they should advance. USC is an interesting one. Baylor, Miami, them, Kansas. Big kickoff weekend for the Pac-12, and I think the addition of Wiersholm only adds to that. Yeah, we can call the Virginia-Stanford matchup the John Parsons regional. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's right up my alley. Um well, I think what's interesting is in the past, Stanford had not played the, um, you know, they would skip it and they could rely on Cal, UCLA, and USC basically all being top 10 teams. You play them twice, you beat them all great you're you know a top team um but we saw that strategy not pay off over the years as their rankings started to slip they come in when when national championships um but yeah i mean suffice it to say all of those four teams will be beating up on each other 
they'll all be happy that they're all good because it's like hurt hurt them in the past that they've struggled with ranking points. You saw it this past season. Um, yeah, with Stanford really not in the mix. Really only was UCLA. Um, so big year ahead for the Pac-12 women. Um, but a big year ahead for other conferences, which I'm excited to chat about today. Big 10 women's kickoff weekend. Michigan at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, Ole Miss, Old Dominion in that regional. Very winnable for the Wolverines. And you look for the Big 10. Ohio State's the host, but they've got LSU, Tennessee, and a dangerous Oklahoma State team coming to town. That is no sure thing for our number 10 preseason team. You look for Northwestern. It's winnable. NC State, Wake Forest, Iowa State, those are four very good teams. NC State unproven, probably the most talented on paper, but unproven. Of course, the Iowa women going to Georgia. I mean, you got Alexa Noel. I suppose you got a chance, but certainly they're going to be lopsided underdogs in that matchup. You're right. It's interesting across the board. And, you know, with that in mind, of course, we will get to our number 19. But I got to let you plug the blog here. And, of course, I'm always reading your updates, college, you know, players in the pros. And I had this conversation with Chris and Matt. I'm fascinated to hear your perspective as well because you followed it the way we've all followed it. And, you know, Chris agreed with me in this point, not to bias you, but you're writing the blog. And for people who want to know how our college players doing in the pros, read, no ad, no problem. Uh, my question to you, yes, it helps that we've had events, Fayetteville, Ithaca, Lubbock, all of these college campuses, and we've seen a plethora of college athletes as such competing head-to-head in these events. And, you know, again, your favorite stat, five top 10 players in Ithaca, none at the National Fall Champ- or, excuse me, Fayetteville, none at the National Fall Championship. That said, whether it's Boyton or Kingsley or Shelton or, you know, Tristan Boyer or Alexandra Recco or all these different guys and, and girls, obviously. Emma Navarro, she might not come back to school with how much success she's having on the pro circuit. You can go up and down the list. Is it an abnormal level of success or are we just now pl- paying closer attention? I – well, I'm certainly paying closer attention, right? I wasn't doing weekly recaps. Um, sure. It – it did feel abnormal to me to have so many of the top um, men and women missing um, and like fully missing right throughout the entire semester, taking the semester off. And that's kind of what we chatted about a little bit in terms of like the ITA rankings and things that they might need to evolve with, right? Like how do you account for the fact that none of the top 10 men even played in in the regional most took the entire fall off? Um, What does that do for the rankings? What does that do for the NCAA selections? Um, it feels abnormally high. Um, I wonder if it's a byproduct, one of more college campuses hosting, which is awesome. I Mm -hmm. think everyone would agree. Um, and also COVID, right? There were so few playing opportunities throughout the 2020 season, right? You couldn't, you know, they weren't playing dual matches, um, and they couldn't, you know, take a, a week off to go play an ITF event, you know, two States away. Uh, because they had some easy cupcake uh, dual matches like that wasn't possible and so I wonder if people are just really trying to capitalize on this swing of um, U.S. tournaments we can chat about the scheduling of all of those but I think people are just trying to take advantage of it in a way that we haven't seen before which is why we're seeing for example this week 57 collegians in main draw action all four of the men's events are hosted on college campuses um, so we're seeing a, like a plethora of collegians in, in tour action, which is great to see. 
Yeah, and it's Kessler, and it's you know Vale, and it's Lulu Sun, who's probably not coming back, but she's you know fresh out of college, and yep. Alana Rogers, and you know Alexa Graham. All these players are having plenty of success as they're playing these fifteen twenty five k events, and that speaks to the depth and the talent right now in college tennis. And to your point. It's absolutely a byproduct of more playing opportunities on college campuses. That said, these players are making the most of those opportunities, and they're going on to success. And we saw August Holmgren makes a Futures final in the summer, comes back, finals the All-American, wins the the National Fall Championship. I just, you know, I I agree with you that there's a larger conversation to have there. At the same time, it's nothing but a reflection. uh, It's nothing but a positive thing for college tennis moving forward to be seeing all this success. And again— 57 names, that's a lot to follow. The easiest way to do it, read the no ad, no problem blog. But with that said, let's get into our number nine team in our preseason rankings as we look at the top 10 women's teams we think most likely to win the 2022 NCAA championship. Today's team is a team that reached the quarter, uh, excuse me, the round of 16 of the 2021 NCAA tournament. You look for them overall on the season uh they go 21 and 8 overall now they lose their kickoff weekend match but they win uh excuse me they reach the final of their conference tournament of course i'm referring to the texas a&m aggies who come in at number nine in our preseason poll jay when you look at 2021 what are the things that stand out to you for texas a&m's performance it's a good question i would say the first word that comes to mind is inconsistency Mm. Um, you know, so the SEC overall has had a fairly down few years, you know, a byproduct of Florida struggling to, um, to kind of get momentum. And so they, they lost some early matches. Um, you mentioned the kickoff weekend, but they also lost to Kentucky to a kind of, um, shorthanded Florida team. Um, and then they lost to Alabama, who's not nearly where they were, you know, for 2014, 2015 era. Um, and then they seem to turn things around you mentioned the um you know, the sec tournament final the first in program history um but i would say inconsistency uh you know there seemed to be up and down performances throughout the season um there were moments when i was like really high on them like when they made the sec final was was curious when they when they knocked off host northwestern uh to make that ncaa round of 16. um so overall a, a pretty up and down season which comes a little bit as a surprise given the experience that they have on the roster, which we'll get into for sure. Yeah, it's a fair thing to say. You look for their kickoff weekend. It was always a tough draw in UCLA, but you know they lose the doubles 6-2, 6-1 sets at 1-2, and two, and that's with the duo in Goldsmith and Makarova that end up as All-Americans. That's a disappointing weekend for them, and you know Makarova and Goldsmith also lose straight set matches at 1-2, and two. and certainly Forbes and Bolton, that's no easy matchup, but that's a disappointing result. Uh, for the Aggies to start the season and yet to your point they absolutely bounced back and you know would they like that match at Baylor back I'm sure that they would would they like the match at Florida back at Kentucky back I'm sure that they would that said a 4-3 loss is never on the road in conference play it's never a bad loss right certainly you'd like to see them beat Alabama but that 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 loss happens to 98 percent of teams throughout the course of the season and to your point I think they played all of the big matches well you know again beat Arkansas 4-1 beat Ole Miss 4-1 
you know, beat Auburn 4-2 in the tournament, South Carolina 4-2 in the tournament, good win on the road at Northwestern in the NCAA tournament. This is a team that took some lumps last season, but got better throughout the course of the year. And it's interesting when you look at the stats, I think what's so fascinating is given the continuity they have at the top of their lineup, the thing they struggled so much with last season, which was doubles, it feels like there's a lot of room for them to get better at that this season. Yeah, I mean, you would think, you know, with the, with the team in Goldsmith and Makarova, who are preseason number three right now, which shout out to them as the highest ranking in program history, um, you know, you just really need to find one team and, and maybe like a, a half of a team, right? Like you feel really good if you have that team at number one. Um, so that feels like a big area of improvement. Um, and also just generally, right? Like these are all players who are experienced, who have had a lot of success in college tennis. You mentioned that consistency at the top of the lineup. Um, they've had the same three players at the top of the lineup for the last three years. Um, and so that sort of consistency as, as a group, you would think would translate to, um, you know, more consistency just writ large as a team, which I think we didn't quite see. Uh, but to me, there's just a lot of room for continue continue to improve. Uh, I took they, think they took those lumps last season, uh, and I think it was a good learning experience. Yeah, and the, and the players they bring back had a ton of success last season, particularly on the singles court, you know, for Tatiana Makarova, 18-4. and four. Overall in dual matches, 15-4 and four at the number one singles position. You do that in the SEC, you have our respect. And, yep. you know, for her, uh, for J.C. Goldsmith, 12-7 and seven at number two, 14-9 and nine overall. It's a good season, and you look for Goldsmith, obviously, entering this year. She's someone who now, you know, is a senior and has uh, that experience, has taken the lumps, and has played at the top of the lineups. You'd expect a jump from her this year. And then, you know, they bring back just – a lot of winners, you know, Mac, uh, for Townsend, who uh, Kate, Katya Townsend, she was thirteen and seven last year, eleven and seven at the three singles position. Re- uh, Renee McBride, yep. fourteen and four in dual matches last season. They bring all of that back, so you don't have to worry about the singles portion of the lineup. What was such an interesting observation, and as you know, Jay, an interesting observation for me. And sorry to. I suppose, plug myself there. But, you know, I've been doing all of these Power 5 interviews, and so you see all the stats. You see how many doubles combinations each of these teams play. They played nine last season. That's pretty average. That's pretty standard. And given, you know, they were 11-11 and 11 at one, but Goldsmith and Makarova was the team. And, yep. you know, 13-8 and eight at two, 14-11 and 11 at three. It was interesting to see them not experiment more, and you know perhaps that's a testament to coach felt comfortable with seven, eight players, but given the amount of freshmen they bring in, and we'll talk about that momentarily, I expect that number to exceed nine this season. It would not surprise me to see them search for answers at two with three throughout the course of the season, and if they're not, that means something clicks. Yeah, um, I, I think you have to. I don't have it off the top of my head, but just in some of their fall play – they have to experiment just with the amount of freshmen they have, right? Um, if you bring in four freshmen, um, many of whom you expect to start, like you're going to need to get them reps and doubles, particularly. We know that that's a much more difficult transition for many juniors into the elite college doubles than it is to be you know, an elite singles player. Um, so I definitely expect them to experiment. Um, I thought it was really good to see Makarov and Goldsmith. They made the semis um, in San Diego just recently. Um, so they, they're they're established, they're proven, um, and they're playing at, at at a very high level. So experimentation will be key at at number two and number three. Plus, they just bring in a lot of talent. 
So, you know, some good coaching and they should be sure to find at least two additional duos. So when you look back at 2021 and again, first conference in program history and you look overall for the Aggies, again, 21 and 8 overall and NCAA round of 16 where they lose a 4-2 decision to Florida State, a match that was decided very closely on the margins. Was the season success, disappointment, you know, again, or I suppose status quo for this program? Which, you know, again, is a program that has been in the mix now for the past decade. Yeah, I mean, this is certainly a program, much like Ohio State, who has, you know, gone from kind of a, a first, second round NCAA team to, you know, you can expect to see A&M in the round of 16, mm-hmm. right? Pretty much every year they've made five of the last seven round of 16s. Um, so I would say it's, you know, if there's a level between like exceed expectations and meet, they're somewhere in there, right? Because to go and make your first SEC uh tournament final is huge right they've only been in the sec now since around 2013 never made the the tournament final so that's a huge you know feather in the cap for both these players and the coaching squad um and then to make the round of 16 probably feels like what they expect to do every year regardless of players regardless of you know incoming talent like round of 16 is the benchmark for them it's really about that next match how do they make the quarterfinals Yeah, I think last season was a victory. Now, it was an old team. They only had one freshman on the roster last season, and that freshman, you know, played the fewest number of matches in the lineup. They should have been in the round of 16 uh, mix. And again, I do think there were some missed opportunities, certainly in that Florida State match. And you look, you know, for them, it just felt like, you know, the match at three singles kind of faded away. You know, the three and four singles matches kind of faded away from them simultaneously in that one. And they lost grip of the match. And, you know, that happens, of course, in a round of 16. But given how old that team was, it was a bitter ending And I think that's why we're so excited for this year's team because you still bring back the heart of it. Makarova, Goldsmith, Townsend, McQuaid, and just, you know, again, you bring in, what was it, I believe, according to Tennis Recruiting, the number two class in the nation this season. And with that in mind, let's talk about the additions, Jay. I think that's one of the reasons we have them number nine. They hit the lottery on the recruiting market this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like the story of this team is essentially – some of the most experienced players you could imagine. Makarova's in her fifth year, Goldsmith and Townsend, uh, fourth year, same with McBride. I mean, that's a ton of experience. And then you bring in four players who amounted to be the number two recruiting class by tennis recruiting, um, you know, headlined by, I would say, Mary Stoana, um, who's from Connecticut. So made the, made the move to go down to, uh, to Texas. Um, and she's had a really strong both summer and fall. I mean, her list of wins include Kylie Collins, Charlotte Shavathapan. She just beat uh, Mel Crywaj of Baylor. Um, she beat uh, Bridges of LSU this past weekend. So she's beating players all ranked right between 30 and, and 60, essentially. Um, so we didn't see her much on the, like, you know, at All-Americans or, or at the regionals, but I mean, her level is there. Um, and so that to me is what, if you're bullish on the program, like she will be a huge factor in their success this coming season. Yeah. And again, this is a program 
what was it, the 2013 final, I want to say, at yep. Champaign with Coach Joffe. And, you know, Coach yep. Weaver takes over that next, or I think it was the next season, or certainly soon after that, or maybe it was 2015. Again, somewhere around that range. But yeah, he's entering his seventh season. Yes, so yes, whatever the math is when he that. took over. But you look at the results. Second round, round uh, Sweet 16. Second round, Sweet 16. Sweet 16 this last year. They're undeniably 13 and 4 in 2020 when play stopped. They're undeniably heading in the right direction, and that is how you get the number two recruiting class. And, you know, again, two blue chips, two five stars, a three star in there as well. That's depth, that's multiple names to build upon as well. And I think that's what's so exciting is, again, you have the veterans at the top. You have yeah. the built-in success. You have some margin for error early in the season, and they're going to need it because your arguably match of the kickoff weekend first round, men's or women's, is the Texas A&M first round match against Princeton. I mean, that's must-see TV, and as good as Makarova is, as good as Goldsmith is, as good as Townsend is, you know, you're going up against Schwetz. You're going up against Freeman. You're going up against Vicky Who. They can match your strength up top. Now, they've got some newbies at the bottom of their lineup as well, and that's what Texas A&M is going to have also. Which of the freshmen do you see contributing most quickly? And, you know, again, if you're just going to suss out that singles-doubles lineup, what are you seeing? Yeah, it has to be um, uh, Mary Stowana uh, based on her fall play. Uh, just, I mean, th- those those names I listed off, right, those are top players in college who have been contributing at three, four, even one. Um, so she's someone who I think will slot in uh, really nicely, probably right underneath that top three. Uh, you probably start her at four, uh, and then you see where things land and how Goldsmith and Townsend are playing to see how high she'll go. Uh, the other blue chip there is Gianna Pilette. Um who has played a lot of matches um you know she has been you know on the utr scene she's been on the 15ks in the middle east um so she hasn't had kind of the standout fall that maybe we would expect from someone who's kind of coming in as a top 10 recruit um but you know i think she has the talent she has the the level uh and so those two are certainly going to be in the mix i think the surprise uh of those five stars has been Jeanette Miralis. um she's had a really solid fall she also notched a win over baylor's uh, mel crywatch who played one for them um so i mean you talked about it right this is just a lot of people in the mix um right that means the ability to sit players for certain matches that means you know mixing these doubles duos together um and it's a kind of that winning combo of like the experience which you know you're going to get right you know what you're going to get from these players who have been in college station for four or five years plus the upside of all of these freshmen so that is a really good good blend if you're if you if you want to bet on the aggies yeah, they've got five very winnable home matches before the kickoff weekend to get the freshmen some repetitions. But again, even after that Princeton match, they're going to play the winner or loser of South Carolina-Texas Tech. Things don't get any easier for them that weekend. You can go 0-2 if you're not locked in, if your freshmen aren't ready to perform. And, you know, again, it, it, it's in the SEC conference. Florida's going to be better this season. Yep. South Carolina's going to be better this season. Georgia's always freaking good. And, yep. you know, I feel like Vanderbilt could be positioned for a good year this year. Tennessee brings back a ton of depth. They're very good this season. SEC's always good. 
this year's no exception. It's a tough year to be young, just given where we're at right now in college tennis, given the depth available uh, across rosters. And, you know, with that in mind, I have the UTRs up for some comparisons for this Texas A&M team. It's fascinating. I was looking up Pepperdine, and I had forgotten Savannah Brodus was now on Pepperdine's roster. And it's just yeah. like, oh, my God. <laughs> Vicky Flores is sixth in the Pepperdine UTR right now. That is just I mean, that's something else. But, you know, let's start with the favorable comparisons. You look for Texas A&M. You know, right now they're actually a two-and-a-half point favorite over Stanford by Power 6 UTR. Uh, Texas A&M, 63.61. Stanford, 61.15. But, of course, Connie Ma not listed right now for Stanford. So that'll change quickly. You look for Texas A&M, though. Feels worth noting, 0.04 Power 6 advantage to them over Virginia. And while Emma Navarro is a strong favorite at one, everywhere else, you know, it's Texas A&M as the favorite, albeit narrow up top. They're right there with the Virginias of the world. They, you know, trail Georgia by less than a full UTR point. It's, you know, fewer than uh, 0.2 deficits on four of the six courts in singles. That matters for this Texas A&M team. They're just close. They they have the talent. You're right to match up with the top players. Now the question is, will there be continuity in doubles? Can they solve the system? And obviously it's not a systemic flaw. Goldsmith and Makarova play fundamentally sound doubles. They are two up and you know they serve and volley, they cross, they you know communicate well on how to cover those crosses also all of the pieces and components are there, and Coach Weaver, obviously, plenty of experience in coaching them up and getting them ready to perform on the doubles court. I think last year's an aberration. The question is, how quickly do the freshmen click? And at some point early in the season, here's my hot take for you. Do you split up Goldsmith and Makarova early in the season just to help get, allow both of them to get the freshmen acclimated and say, you know what? Like, the problem is, I don't know if you can do that on the kickoff weekend, but is that something you consider? So I, I think the structure of the fall, I think the ideal time to do that would have been the fall, sure. right? And you play a lot of these fall invite tournaments with Makarova playing with some freshmen and Goldsmith playing with another one to get those reps in. Small uh, counter, they want to be All-Americans. They want to lock in that ranking. As we learned last season, don't forget, you know, take advantage of those opportunities. Ex- exactly why the fall is is tough to do that. So yeah. um there's not a lot of room, right? There's not a lot of time to do uh, the experimentation. Um, I think they're going to do a lot of experimentation with everybody else and a lot of practice, but I would be surprised if we saw um, Makarova and Goldsmith split up in anything but like some of their, you mentioned they have six matches before the ITA kickoff. Like I imagine some of those, they feel pretty confident, even if they, you know, give up the doubles point. So maybe it's a few of those reps. Um but I don't think you can split up Makarov and Goldsmith in the key key matches. Yeah, the other – you know, obviously they also get Brandstein here this year. That's another addition we have yet to talk about, and I see you making a face. I'll let you explain that face. But just to be clear right now, by UTR, here are the top six – for Texas A&M. Uh, again, as currently listed, you've got Makarova number one. She's followed by Stoyana, only a .06 deficit between the two of them, then a small drop-off to Branstein. Uh, then you get Goldsmith, who's 10.46, Townsend 10.4. Uh, after that, I believe it's Morales 10.33. You know, again, 
that makes sense to you? What, what's the lineup you see? Obviously, a play is 10.30, so she's right off the mix, and then there's a big drop. Where are you at in this lineup? No McBride listed there, who obviously had a ton of success last season. Yeah, her UTR is a little bit lower. She's in the yeah. in the higher nine range. Um, you know, so putting Branson aside for a second, I would say that they're going to debut with the top three of Makarova, Goldsmith, and Townsend. I, see no reason to really change that i would say stoana comes in at four mcbride keep her at five that was a success and then most likely pilette at six but if morales continues to play the way that she has been impressive this fall then maybe she's at six um i think those are pretty much the the seven that you'll see in 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 match play against kind of top opponents yeah and again this team is right there by utr using uh all of those metrics the question is how much better can these freshmen get and you know again it's tough to project doubles lineups do you have the doubles results from the fall some of the ones that stood out in particular were there any pairings that did stand out other than makarov and goldsmith yeah, they were the only one. Yeah, um, right. The rest of them were just, and they didn't play a ton, right? They just had yeah. kind of some of these invites, and um, I'm sure there so, was a hidden duel here or there that we haven't seen, probably. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than Macrova and Goldsmith, those were really the only ones that that stuck out. Um, I didn't pay too close of attention to who they were pairing in some of their fall invites. Yeah, it's tough, and again. Not only will they have uh, the difficult kickoff weekend, but now, you know, again, it's an SEC conference where Georgia, we saw Riasco and the talent she is in. Obviously, they bring back a ton of talent as well. And I mentioned the comparison by UTR, Georgia, 0.8 favorite. And, you know, they've got Kowalski, they've got Liam Ma, they've got Kopich, they've got plenty of talent up and down the board. But elsewhere in the SEC, South Carolina's got Sarah Hamner. They've got Ackley. They've got, you know, as good a top two as just about, you know, you that top two versus Texas A&M's top two, you may even lean South Carolina at a minimum. Certainly a 1-1 yep. split, you think. Can, I mentioned all those teams, Kentucky, Tennessee, Florida. I'll pull up the UTRs, but how do you have this team faring in what is, again, an experienced and very deep conference? Yeah, well, I think what's interesting about all of those teams is – there's a lot of turnover in the SEC this year for some of those teams, right? Like Georgia brings in a massive freshman class, right? Both, um, you know, South Carolina's top two, they're awesome, but Hamner's still a freshman and Ackley's new to the program. So that that's new as well. Um, you know, Florida as well, they bring in transfers, right? They bring in um, Shelton who transferred in and they bring in Briggs from Tennessee. So, you know, there's just a lot of new new players and Texas A&M really will have to rely on kind of their four returning starters. Um, and I think that will go a long way. I do think that they're going to struggle at the start of the year. We should mention that Katya Townsend was basically not been out because of injury. And she just came back about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago in her first fall tournament hasn't been great so far. Uh, she went 0 and three this past weekend. Um, so that's of note. Um, and anytime you're trying to blend some of these experienced players with freshmen, you're going to have some, you know, hiccups. Uh, and so I think that that will happen. The good news for them is that the SEC season will kick off, you know, in, in the March timeframe, and they can kind of probably have a similar story arc, if you will, to, to last season. Uh, it's just really a question of, of how well they can all click together. Yeah, and... Uh, to have the seniors at the top of the lineup gives you margin. We've we've discussed yeah. that, and you know certainly they're going to lean on that fact. That said, you know again looking at uh, the UTRs, all of these teams are within a point, a point and a half or fewer with each other, and 
that matters. That makes a difference. And, and I do wonder. I think Tennessee is going to be really good. I think they're sneaky experience. And is that a team that early in the season sneaks up on A&M and you know, gets a victory over them? Certainly in what is a, a very deep women's college tennis field, uh, it does feel a bit like a rat race. Uh, you know, And how critical is it uh, for them? And you look overall, I believe I have it here, their overall UTR. Okay, their third in the conference, I believe. No, no, no. Yeah, second overall in the conference. Oh, no, third in the conference. It goes Georgia 1, South Carolina 2. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, and then this Texas A&M team 3. But, again, it's it's thin margins, Jay. It's thin yeah. margins here. If you were to give me a prediction, do they do better in the regular season, the conference, more likely to finish 5th or 1st? 1st. Um, yeah, pretty definitively, I would say. Um, you know, I think the only teams that I would see beating them, or well, again, you know, obviously conference play, who knows what will happen, but really having like a better season could is probably only Georgia. Um, and I think Florida will probably be, you know, trying to knock back on the, on the door. Um, I feel pretty confident in this A and M team to make make a pretty similar SEC run to what they did last year in terms of tournament play. Um, the SEC tournament's always tough because of seeding. Um, like the year they won the NCAA championships, they fell in the the semifinal, which is also a testament to um, the SEC strength. Um, but ultimately, I, I feel really confident in this mix of uh, senior leadership as well as some of these freshmen. I've been really impressed by. You look at them overall again; it's a point five three deficit between them and Florida. Kessler with a slightly higher uh, UTR than Makarova, but you know again, Texas A&M would have advantages up and down the rest of the board. You look at them compared to South Carolina. Excuse me, they're slightly ahead of South Carolina now. Hamner and Ackley would be slight favorites, but it's Texas A&M elsewhere down the lineup. I gotta see who that third team is, then I'll look a little bit more closely yeah. in a little bit. But yeah, again, and it also. Feels like this team's got more upside to tap into because there is, you know, for them to have these metrics as high as they are already, that's a testament to the returning talent. And we still haven't seen these freshmen play a dual match. So, uh, again, with all that in mind, give me the hot take. Anything spicy about Texas AM? What you got on the radar for me? So, the the spicy take here, I think we might share this one. Um, I think they'll lose to Princeton in their ITA kickoff. (laughs) That's Um, a good one. You know, one of the challenges with this A&M team is, you know, you talk about two point, three point, four point teams. They're kind of a zero point team for me. I would say a one plus. <laughs> They're going to get one for sure. You're not going to shut them out, but where is it? Sure, but yeah, that lack of confidence, right? And yeah. like, I have no idea where it's going to come from. I mean, you look at that top three. You you threw out some names, right? All of which I would most likely like over the Texas A&M. You feel good that Texas A&M will get one maybe two within the top three and their strength will probably be in like three and four particularly given like stoiana's strength and they were strong at five um but there's not not any names that you go okay that's a lock at that position um at least not sitting here in november so that's one the thing that i think is a little bit concerning and i think they match up pretty poorly with princeton Right. I mean, Princeton's one, two, and three in whatever order of Freeman, Hugh, and Schwetz. I almost lean all three of those over uh, the, the Aggies' top three. Now, I think the Princeton depth, although, I mean, it's it's better than you might imagine. Um, I think that's where Texas A&M would need to, to, to win out. 
And what is interesting is that Princeton just competed in the Aggie fall invite. So they've all played on the courts. They have been there. That goes a long way when you're looking to make, make an upset, feeling comfortable in the location. So um, that's my hot take. Yeah, all excellent points. I throw it at you. More likely to lose second round or reach the quarterfinals? Quarterfinals. You feel confident about that? Yeah, no, I I, I do, and here's why. Um, I think just given like the SEC inflation rankings, right? Like they're all all going to be ranked fairly high. Um, I feel confident that this team will be ranked within like the top sixteen, uh, and therefore, you know, not have to go on the road and kind of qualify for like the the Sweet Sixteen. So those first two rounds, I'm I'm not super concerned about. And look, they've made they've made the round of sixteen. I mentioned five of the last seven times with much weaker teams on paper than what they have this season. Um, counterpoint, right, Gruskin, <laughs> is um, like the, the level of college tennis has increased for sure over the last few years. Um, so I, I think I'd be much more confident that they take one step further than that they kind of regress as a program. Here's the SEC's outlook on the kickoff weekend because, of course, those opportunities to get as many from your conference as you can into that field to all get top 16 matches. Any of them get a couple of wins. It helps the entire conference moving forward. Let's play a game of advance or not advance. I know it's very early, but obviously Georgia. They've got Iowa, Mississippi State's in there, North Florida. I think we agree. Exactly. Um, All right, next conference team, you go to Florida. They're at Florida State. We still don't know exactly what the Florida State roster is going to look like, although we're learning more pieces. Yeah. FIU, Illinois there. Florida could advance out of that. Florida. I would say Florida advances. UVA, Stanford, Arkansas. Arkansas is probably in trouble that weekend. That's, yeah, a tough draw. Ole Miss, Michigan, Georgia Tech, a very good Old Dominion team. Ole Miss could go 0-2. Yeah, I was going to say I would not favor Ole Miss in those matches. Here's an interesting one. UCF, Auburn, Arizona State, UC Santa Barbara. Say that one again. UCF, Auburn, Hmm. Arizona State, UC Santa Barbara. Yeah, I would say Auburn does not advance. I agree with you there. Ohio State, LSU, Tennessee, Oklahoma State. That is brutal for the SEC because one of their teams could very well go 0-2. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, mean, I, I, and I that's think a brutal it's a draw for Ohio State. Uh, I'll take one of the OSU's to advance, and not yeah. one of the SECs. That's what I'm saying. So that's a good take. I I would say again, right now, Florida, Georgia. Does Vanderbilt beat Cal? I don't no. think so. Does you know again, one of South Carolina, Texas A and M would have to beat each other to get to the final sixteen. So we're talking two, three max. That's an issue. For this Texas A&M team, if the Pac-12 gets in four and, you know, the Big Ten, if Michigan, Ohio State can sneak in and they get there too and the ACC is the freaking ACC, the depth in the ACC is not going to be the problem. But how many of those teams end up top ten? How many of them, most importantly, end up top eight? That's the fascinating question. I think it's tough for the ACC to get two into the top eight this season. I think that's fair. I, I mean, I think we've seen this play out often though we're just having so many teams in sure. that kind of like 20 through 40 ranking just really helps your your mm-hmm. ranking um and ultimately you know it I, I think texas a&m can i mean it didn't seem to hurt them last season right another down year for the sec they still managed to be a top 16 seed albeit they had to go on the road uh, and beat northwestern 
Um, so I, I definitely agree with you. And actually, uh, I read about this in the article in terms of kind of the implications of of losing to a Princeton in the kickoff weekend. Um, it, to me, that's probably what burns burns the fire a little bit more under this team to say like we got to figure out these pieces, right? We got to get our, our, our seniors back on. We got to get everyone healthy and we got to get these freshmen uh, locked and loaded because we're going to need to turn it on in the back half of the season. Is that actually the hot take that a loss to Princeton in the kickoff weekend could be the best thing to happen to this Texas A&M team? That's a great take, Jay. Now the cracked rackets is strong in you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, again, and what's worth noting is after the highs of beating Northwestern on the road, and that was a weird match for them to get through, and you know, yeah. then to lose the follow-up, the heartbreaker to Texas A&M. You get the high ups, you see what it takes to win a close match like that on the road, but then you have the lows of losing your next NCAA round of 16 match, doing all that work in the build-up just to be sent home after day one. The fire is lit right away, and yeah. so I'm going to zig on you. I'm going to take Princeton to lose that A&M match. I think the experience, you know, Princeton hasn't played a dual match since 2020. I think it shows in that kickoff weekend. I'll take A&M, battle-tested A&M to advance out of that regional. And I think that sets them up for the rest of the season. I do think they end up top 10. And obviously we have them preseason number nine. I think as good as they might be to start off the year, that they get into the national indoors, get those freshmen, that repetitions, that is what is going to bode so well for them. And here is my hot take. They're going to beat Georgia this season, at least once. Now, I don't know if it's going to be regular season. I don't know if it's going to be in the SEC tournament. You look for them in the regular season, that Georgia match on the road. That sounds you know, certainly tough. The SEC tournament in Gainesville, that's not, a, I suppose, a good site for either team. That's my hot take. Now, they could lose to Florida. They could lose to South Carolina. But I think they beat Georgia once this season because it's an inexperienced-ish Georgia team. I think even less experience than A&M. You know what? I'll say it. A&M goes to Georgia, shocks them. That's the big win of the season. But then Georgia gets them in the SEC tournament. Okay. I mean, A&M will be out for revenge, right? They lost to Georgia Mm -hmm. twice last season. Mm -hmm. Um, They're familiar with losing to Georgia. Um, you know, so I, I could definitely see see them upset the upset. I would probably take it. Uh, they take him in Gainesville, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just the home crowd in Athens. Um, but look, I mean, this is Makarova came back for her fifth year. Um, she's had a, a huge jump between kind of her middle of the lineup early days at A and M to now being a top ten player. I, I just get the sense that she's going to drag this team, you know, to to where she wants them to be for her final season, and that means going and having a better season than what they did this past year. So then, give me the prediction: Where do they end up? How do they finish in the conference? How do they finish at the NCAA tournament? Do they make the final sixteen at the indoors? It sounds like your take is no. To that for take, the last question. So all of those milestones: they don't make the indoor. Uh, they don't make indoors. They win the sec tournament um tournament they win the sec tournament um and then they lose in in the quarterfinals i do think this is the year that they break the ceiling um of those kind of consecutive round of 16 finishes um and yeah so so that's my take um we do need to get into the carson branston of it all uh a little bit because that that changes the dynamics of all of this um but what's your take well, no, I want to hear – I'm not fully persuaded. Give me the Branston take. 
I didn't mean to cut you off, by the way. I meant to sneak that in earlier. That's on me. Sure. So um, for those who don't know, uh, Carson Branstein, um, ITF junior number four in the world, um, you know, top 500 in the WTA. She enrolled at USC in August of 2019. Uh, injuries prevented her from playing any matches that season. Obviously, COVID hit in 2020. Uh, she transferred to the University of Virginia, where, again, injuries kept her out from playing any matches. Um, and between entering USC and the fall of 2021, so essentially a, a two-year period, she's played three competitive matches that happened in, in August of 2020. So um, she has stated that she will be joining the Texas A&M team in the spring. We have yet to see anything official from Texas A&M, um, which feels a little bit unusual given the circumstances. Uh, the A&M squad is seemingly scholarshiped out. Um, so, you know, I, I'm hesitant that we will see her in action. I will say good news is she did play this fall. Um, she made the quarterfinals and the semifinals of some 15Ks in the Middle East. Her level seemed to be there. I mean, her wins were over kind of 10.2, 10.3 UTRs, which for context is kind of where, you know, teammates, you know, Muralis um, and things like that are. So she would definitely play if she can stay healthy. Um, I'm just not, I just not sure why third time's the charm a little bit. Um, and it's been a long two years. So um, that's why I, you know, all of these takes are kind of without Carson Branson, like in the lineup. I think the conversation though does change if you have her healthy and playing at this level, that changes the calculus. So I'm not going to be able to ask Coach Weaver about this issue as she's not officially on the roster until January. But all signals is that she will be on the roster in January. That is the word on the street from sources surrounding uh, this Texas A&M program. And to your point, that is a massive addition. That's the one that hangs over perhaps even more than any of the freshmen because you've got those two years of experience. If she's playing, is she top three? According to the UTR, yes. Or do you value the experience some of the freshmen have gotten in the fall even more? Because that's truth be told, you're right. Some of the freshmen have played more than her. I mean, Gruskin, she's played three matches in two years. You're right. <laughs> uh, Pielet has played like 80 in 2020 <laughs> alone. Um, I mean, look, being on the roster and playing are two very different things. She was on the roster at USC and UVA. Um, uh, so I, I will need to see her in dual matches, uh, you know, to, to believe that this is that this is real. Um, it's tough. It's going to be really challenging to come out of the gate not having played really in two years, um, never having played in – a college environment um you know i would take stoana right now over over branstein um but absolutely if she's healthy and she's playing like i she would probably play four through six um just to add the depth there um versus try and try her hand at the top three positions yeah what's nice about this team is it does feel like especially if she's playing that's like a ninth sort of player on the roster where you can go nine deep now you've got options four through six and again that speaks to the upside of this team while they do have some known quantities the unknowns all have flashed potential either in the fall or with their pro results again with that in mind did i say ohio state was a quarterfinal team i don't think so no you did. did i did 
I'll bring it up. I'm keeping notes based on Sekoiak's feedback. Yeah, that's a smart move by him. He's keeping notes yeah. too, and you, I, I've already you, regretted. You zagged and you went quarterfinal for OSU. That's that's unfortunate. I, do I really <laughs> want to use two up right away? Oh, I'm just thinking of some of the teams we have ahead. Do I want to fire that take there? Yeah, I'm going to do that for that. I'm going to be so wrong about it. Oh, I'm going to say quarterfinals. Lock it in. Give me wow. the quarterfinal pick here. Yeah, that. give me the quarterfinal pick here. Lock it in. I'm going to have to make up for it over the next couple of weeks. Um, but I feel good about this team. I, I Again, it's, it's a perfect combination. It's just a yep. question of how quickly can those freshmen get along. And Coach Weaver... You know, again, it's year what you said six, seven, I believe, for him. Se- seventh at the helm. Yeah, seventh I mean, at the helm, but obviously unlimited was, yeah, of the program. <laughs> exactly, played there, was an assistant there, yeah. and I, I just think he, you're right. This feels like a breakthrough, sort of this that glass ceiling of the quarterfinal round. Get yeah. there, build on it moving forward. You know, get that freshman class, that sort of experience. I'll stay with you. Quarterfinals here, where I'm going to eliminate some teams. I'll have to get creative over the next few weeks. But with that said, any final thoughts on these Texas A&M women? No. I mean, that Princeton A&M match is scheduled. It's circled on the calendar. Let's go. Two months out, um, that's the one to watch. So uh, excited to see that. I like it. Any thoughts on Kentucky 10, Arizona 9 for the men? Well, well you spoiled Arizona 9 for me. I've been, like, unspoiled. <laughs> um, well, I mean uh, – you know, I feel like I've done enough bragging, and so I don't need to go into the Kentucky 10 uh, conversation. But I can pull up the tweets if you want me to. Um, but yeah, I, I was the one who said Kentucky, a top 10 team, and you were uh, 15, closer to 15. Um, <laughs> so uh, I know Stokowiak and, and Chris must have convinced you otherwise. Um, uh, I will not violate the conversation, but no. I think actually on that one, well, we were, we were going to do – Either Georgia, South Carolina, Kentucky, one SEC team fill in the blank there for spot number 10. And I think it, one of us had him one, one of us had him two, the other, none of us had them number three was the key thing. Mm-hmm. And so they ended up getting the spot by proxy. But again, you can go hear the whole argument on the show. Where are you with Arizona? I was surprised to see them nine. Yeah. What were you looking for? I mean, were you looking what? for a Wake Forest? A little, <laughs> yeah, some of that. I mean, I'm already regretting not being higher on Wake Forest. It was my number two team not so long ago. Uh, if Squire comes back, yeah, I mean that's so. If they don't come back, you but still, even if they don't come back, they've got like twelve guys. <laughs> yeah, but that was what happened last season too. Yeah, that's true. Um, but it's I, one more year know, experience. Twelve guys. I think Point having. Being, yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Twelve guys might not always pay off. Um. So I had, I had Arizona outside the top 10. Interesting. Um, Who are your 10 and 9, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, well, these were done a while ago, um, <laughs> but they were Georgia and Kentucky. Interesting. Arizona yeah. outside. I don't want to hear the rest of your list. No spoilers. But I am going to ask you for your men's list every week at the end of the show because I do want to hear your thoughts on that side as well. But 
Again, with all that said, our College Contender Series carries on. If you missed our podcast breaking down number 10, Ohio State, you can hear that here on the Great Shot podcast feed. You can read John's thoughts on them on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, you can hear our corresponding men's podcast on the number 10 Kentucky team, number 9 Arizona team here on this Great Shot podcast feed. You can read Matt's work on both of those teams over on the website, crackrackets.com. Interviews with all of the head coaches of these programs coming up on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. I can tell you all my interviews for the number nine teams are scheduled for 10 a.m. Thursday morning, 3 p.m. Thursday afternoon. We will have those out to you on the day this is released. You can hear the head coach's thoughts on these programs heading into that season as well, and into the season, excuse me, as well. All of that content available on the website, crackrackets.com. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who is not only producing three to five minute summaries on our YouTube channel of these teams, but also as always has a of an editing job to do as he produces all of our Cracked Rackets content. With all of that said, for my fantastic co-host, Jay, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell the people? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.